All right, welcome to it. Another edition of the Employment Law Show. Good to have you along on the show and joining in if you wish. Chris Justice is your guy. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm from coast to coast to coast. You can reach out to Chris anytime, get a hold of him, have a chat, uh, deal with some of his staff. And uh, get you down the right road of knowledge when it comes to employment law. If you have issues, call Chris as well. He'll uh, he'll talk you through uh, all of it. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's the number to reach out anytime. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I want to mention a website that's free and anonymous. It's built just for you to educate yourself. Even before you make that phone call, you can use it. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. And inside that website. Of course, is the severance pay calculator tool, which has been around for years and helped hundreds of thousands of people realize, you know what, I am getting majorly shortchanged on my severance offer because I found out through the severance pay calculator. So do that, even if it's only for uh, for practice, to see what you would be owed if it ever came down the pike that you uh, you were let go from your job, right, without cause, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Lots to get through in the show today. In fact, fired without cause, get to some fast facts as far as that's concerned, and if we have some time in between Phone calls and emails, rights of older employees and an aging workforce. We'll get to that as well. But Chris, you're uh, you're starting and ready to go. You want to get, uh, get through a couple things of the uh, the week that was, pal? What do you got going on? Yeah. Good morning, and uh, thanks as always for having me on. Uh, definitely a couple things I want to get to. Uh, the first thing I'll talk about, I would say, actually, is more not so much the week that was, but the months and years that were. Uh, and, and I'm referring by that to, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact that it's been having uh, in employment law, generally speaking. Uh, so so early on, of course, we had the issue, and, and still do for what it's worth, uh, of COVID layoffs and how that impacts someone's severance yep. entitlements. And then more recently, we've progressed to the issue of these COVID policies that have been imp- implemented across uh, various companies and the impact non-compliance to these policies would have on an individual severance. And now most recently, of course, we're dealing with this uh, Freedom Convoy, which uh, I believe I understand is headed to Toronto this morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm sure many of those individuals are either not vaccinated or perhaps not willing to disclose their status. And uh, I'm sure many of their, their jobs have been impacted as a result. So this, this is very much still a hot topic in the employment law sphere, and um, definitely, you know, people need to be aware of kind of what their rights are in these cases, because I've spoken to a lot of individuals and, and so have my colleagues at the firm who have either been terminated as a result of not complying with these COVID policies uh, or suspended for an undetermined amount of time for not complying with the COVID policy and essentially not paid going forward. Yeah. Uh, so this has been, uh, yeah, just just floods of questions coming in and, and inquiries coming into our firm about these issues. And I thought it would be good to sort of just briefly let people know uh, if they are in these scenarios, um, whether it's because of a COVID layoff, they've lost their job, or it's because they're not complying with these policies, they've lost their job. Uh, don't assume that you have no rights. You know, don't assume that there's no recourse, that you're not entitled to severance, uh, despite what your employer may be telling you, uh, because there's a very good chance you are. You know, uh, one of the key, I think, factors has to do with whether or not there's an actual mandate, a government mandate that applies in your particular industry. So so something that would essentially say for all of the employees in your workplace, in, in any given specific workplace, you must get vaccinated. 
um, you know, that's very different than if there is no mandate. And it's just rather a situation of the company creating its own internal policy, perhaps further to recommendations from the government, but not necessarily uh, in the sense that there's a mandate. Like, for example, uh, Air Canada would, would be one situation where there is a government mandate. But there, as I say, are, are many, many, many industries without one. And so people just need to be aware of that. And if they're in those situations and they're being denied severance, definitely give us a call and uh, we can look into what they're potentially looking at. Nice way to quickly round up, uh, you know, the do's and don'ts of that one. If you want to reach out to, uh, to Chris any time, as mentioned, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. What uh, what else do you want to cover before we get into our uh, the meat and bones of the of the show, pal? What's going on? Yeah, so so this one uh, actually has to do more with the week that was, and uh, oh. there was a particular a client that I had, a particular case that I settled, uh, and this case had to do with uh, the termination of that person's employment happening after their lengthy medical leave of absence. So this was an individual who worked for a large retail chain. They had been there for about a decade. Uh, they then proceeded to go off on a sick leave at around the 10-year mark and immediately started accessing the company's short-term and long-term disability benefits. Uh, there were policies for both of those things and uh, was successful, um, fortunately. I know a lot of people get denied benefits and, and there's definitely issues with that and, and that's also mm-hmm. something that our firm can help out with. But in this particular case, they were granted access to the benefits. They received those benefits for a couple years after uh, they went on their, their sick leave. And at about the two-year mark, the employer, the large retail chain, uh, terminated their employment. They sent this employee a letter claiming what's known as frustration of contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, to sort of summarize what that means, uh, frustration of contract is generally where an employer, for the most part, will end somebody's employment because they just don't foresee that employee coming back to work anytime soon. So a lot of times if someone's off work for two years and the employee's doctors are saying that there's just no uh, chance or hope that they're going to be able to return, sometimes employers exercise this, this option of what's called frustration of contract. And when they're successful in doing that, they can uh, actually limit themselves to just the bare minimum severance entitlements. And in the case of a 10-year employee who, who works for a large retail chain, that would be about 18 weeks. But as we know, as has been discussed on the show before, if we're talking about common law rights, uh, you potentially have uh, the ability to get upwards of two years of severance. And so, again, there's a huge difference between what the law will say you're owed at minimum and and what the common law will say you're potentially owed at max. So this employee uh, commenced the lawsuit, taking the position that this frustration of contract issue was not going to fly, that these 18 weeks being offered were simply not enough. And uh, ultimately, we resolved the case at a mediation this this past week, and the employee was fortunately able to get 12 months of severance, uh, again, for being there for 10 years. Now, why did the employer in this case settle uh, for something like 12 months when it earlier was taking the position it should only give 18 weeks? Right. Um, There are some key factors that I think people need to be aware about whenever they come across this kind of a situation. So... Number one, uh, regardless of how long the employee has been off on a medical leave, uh, the idea of prognosis, you know, when are they going to come back? What's the status? Are they doing anything? Are they making any improvements? That's going to be very important because even if there's a long period of absence, 
if there's still progression in their treatment and there's a prognosis of a, of a possibility of returning, even if it's not definitive, then uh, that can that can definitely help towards getting that individual much more severance. So that was uh, something that was apparent in this case. Um, the the employer in this case, the large retail chain, they actually didn't follow up with the employees, physicians or doctor, um, which was another thing that um, was highlighted in the case and something I know the courts recognize. Um, so employers should definitely be uh, at least getting somewhat regular updates to make sure rather than taking a rash, rash decision to terminate the employment as happened in this case. And also in this particular case, the employee's job was such that uh, keeping that job open for a little while longer was not going to do the company much harm. So, so there's a bit of a difference between someone who goes off on a lengthy leave of absence and let's say they're, you know, the, the CEO uh, yeah. versus maybe somebody who works uh, as a cashier. You know, the, the company is, is not going to generally be required to hold open a position, you know, that's much more senior uh, compared to one that's much more junior. So that was another factor that that we highlighted and, and that ultimately led to this individual getting a lot of severance. So, um, again, if you're an employee and you're in a situation where you are off on a medical leave of absence and you're either being pressured to go back to work or you're being told that, you know, the company may cut ties with you and give you next to nothing. Uh, again, don't think that you don't have rights there and, and definitely give us a shout and we can hopefully help you out just like I did this uh, this gentleman this past week. And would you say if there's ever any, any wonder on the part of the employee, whether this is proper or not, whether, hey, maybe my employer's right, you always refer to your, your medical team, your doctor. They have the say whether it's like, no, this guy's never coming back. There's no there's no hopeful return to, uh, time for work so yeah it's mm. it, he's done or no no he's still getting treatment and i'm still monitoring his uh, progress so on and so forth i mean it's all up to what your doctor says too right yeah no that's very important and and i think far too often employers put themselves in the position of a doctor and um seem to think that they are qualified in some respect right to, to make those kinds of medical opinions um, not to mention, there's always the issue of, you know, whether discrimination's at play. Uh, you know, does this employer simply not want to accommodate this person any longer? Have they grown uh, sort of fed up with it? Uh, they, they view it as an inconvenience or a burden. But, but of course, that's not going to be enough to simply do what they've done. And it, ultimately, if a court or a human rights tribunal is convinced that even 1% of the reason to cut ties had to do with this disability, uh, or, or this leave of absence, that's that's when you can find these companies getting into a, a little bit of hot water. You want to reach out to Chris any time as we uh, get to our first break of the show. Here's how you do it, one 821 5900 right? Help at employmentlawyer.ca, and always the website built just for you, free, anonymous, lots of info there, and contact pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Welcome back to the show. Christopher Justice is your guy. You want to reach out any time to Chris at the firm. Uh, when the show's not on, get some more information or have a chat. You could do so. one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address. Uh, all part of Samfiru to Markin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. So uh, you can have a look, and that is absolutely true. That's something positive that you can uh, you can Google. Want to move on, Chris, to uh, one of two topics we'll try to get through uh, today. And that is fired without cause. Some fast facts. This is something we've been covering for years on the show, but to the benefit of new listeners or people that probably didn't get it the first time or there's still some confusion, 
want to uh, work our way through some of these. Number one, what is a termination without cause? What is that? Yeah, so so just before I get into that, as you mm-hmm. pointed out, it's always good to know the fundamentals here. Um, yeah. and I know that uh, many people are aware of uh, what a without cause termination means and, and what can happen, but given that the vast majority of terminations are without cause, I think it's always helpful to at least give people a bit of a reminder, refresher course. So uh, a termination without cause is essentially where your employment's terminated, but not for any particularly significant workplace misconduct. So so the reasons behind a termination without cause could include things like, you know, we're doing a little bit of restructuring, uh, we're doing a reorganization of the, the workplace, maybe some cost cutting, some realignment. Uh, poor work performance is, is sometimes something I, I come across as well. Um, or, or maybe there's a, a conflict or some friction uh, within the company. So, so if it's a question of whether they like you or not, I mean, I know a lot of people have been let go for uh, reasons relating to that. And, and while they think that that may be done in bad faith, uh, I wouldn't say so necessarily on the face of it. Um, ultimately, as long as the reason for your term- termination uh, or layoff is not discriminatory uh, or conducted in extreme bad faith, it, it is completely legal for, for your employer to terminate your employment in, in those situations. Now, if you are terminated without cause, you're going to be generally entitled to severance. Um, so the employer at that point is required to give you what's called reasonable notice uh, or pay in lieu of termination. Um, so sometimes they do this by giving you working notice. So they might say to you, all right, uh, Tim, we're letting your, your, your employment, we're, we're letting it go after a couple months from now, but you're going to continue working for a couple months and then that's going to be your last day. So a company could, in theory, do that. Or instead, they could say to Tim, you know what, Tim, your employment's over effective immediate today. And here's a couple of months or here's a few months or, or whatever it is. So they can or they can do a combination of kind of working notice and, and pay. Um, but again, like I said before, uh, don't assume that, that, first of all, what you're being offered is fair and reasonable. You definitely have to consult with a lawyer to make sure that whatever that offer is, severance notice uh, is fair and reasonable, not just based on what the legislation says you should get at minimum, but going back to that idea of common law, you know, kind of looking for those potential maximums. Again, feel free to uh, email uh, Chris anytime and talk to him. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, one 821 works as well. We're talking about some uh, fired without cause fast facts. Number two, just been fired and the company wants me to sign an exit paper or a severance offer before I leave the building, like right here, right now. Do I have to? Yeah, not, not only, uh, well, first of all, no, you don't have to and nor should no. you um, because, as I mentioned just a second ago, um, there's a very good chance that whatever has been offered to you uh, is just simply not going to be enough. And, and there's a very good chance that your potential entitlements could be you know, exponentially greater than, than what's been put in the paper. Now, uh, of course, it makes sense for your, for your employer to try to get you to sign it, because if you do, then they're probably happy. You've accepted an offer that's much lower than you could have got. And it, it potentially could be hard for you then to go back in after the fact and, and reverse what you've done. Um, although in saying that, if there's a lot of pressure being put under you and, and you sign it, there could be ways to, to get around that. But you just don't want to risk that. So definitely don't sign it. Tell your employer that you need to think about it. You need to review it maybe with uh, a lawyer, for example, um, and, and get back to them. Um, I know that 
a lot of times there's a deadline that's put on people. Yeah. Uh, so they'll get a package. They'll say, hey, we need you to return. You know, if you want to get this extra money that we're offering you, you need to return this document signed within a week or within a few days. And a lot of people come to me when I, when I talk to them and say, you know, Chris, I've got this deadline I'm working up against. I really need to get done. And by that time, like, what do I do? I just need more time to think. And that's when I'll usually tell them not to worry about the deadline. Uh, first of all, if they can ask for an extension, I find in my experience that's normally granted. But um, for the most part as well, I'm usually telling people not to accept the package in any event, that, that they yeah. need to negotiate, they need to get something better. And so there's not necessarily any harm in doing that um, because you're going to try to pursue something greater. So so you don't have to sign it. You shouldn't sign it. You should contact our firm and, and we can go from there. Do you find that, I guess it would depend on how large or more sophisticated the employer is, but is, is there, do a lot of companies still put those, you know, need this back Friday at five deadline on those offers? Do they all have one or most of them say, you know, we get it that you're going to take some time to have this reviewed, so on and so forth, and maybe see a lawyer. So uh, get back to us when you can. Yeah, well, I would say big employer, you know, small employer, mid-sized employer. And again, in my experience, it's very, very still common for that deadline to be put in there. Um, normally it's about a week in my experience. Um, and you know, again, does the employer really expect them to, to adhere to that deadline? Maybe so, maybe not. I'm sure it does, uh, result in a lot of people signing these, these severance packages. So for every person I actually get to talk to, there's probably eight or nine people that have signed it thinking, you know, that looks fair and reasonable or thinking, you know, I don't have any more time and I don't want to lose out on this. Um, but again, that's where I step in and tell them, you know, first of all, you're, you're probably going to be able to have them put this back on the table later on if you want it to, you want it to accept it. Um, but, but yeah, no, the deadlines are still in there, um, regardless of what the size of the employer is, but, but even still just don't as an employee think that you have to adhere to that or that if you miss that deadline that you're going to all of a sudden get something worse or way less and you can't even get what the original offer was. So, so just don't think that. Another one that we get through here as we continue our discussion about fired without cause, some fast facts. This one's always the million-dollar question, right? How much severance am I owed following a termination without cause? Right, right. And, of course, there's uh, no easy way to answer that with any uh, certainty. Um, it will come down to a number of factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of the, one of the first things I ask people about is, is whether they've signed a contract. Um, and, and whether that contract specifically talks about what they would be owed in, in the case of a termination. Um, because normally the, the whole purpose of that contract and of that clause is, is to limit that person's entitlements to just the bare minimums uh, that are required by law. And even if you look at a contract and a, and a clause that, that talks about something like that and think that, you know what, they've got me dead to rights, I don't see any way around this, uh, again, don't think that just because there's a clause there that it'll actually have the, the effect that it intends. Um, the vast majority of clauses that I look at on a daily basis um, are not drafted uh, in a way that I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, makes them enforceable. Um, so that's, that's definitely one factor to, to look into. And then, of course, you've got other factors uh, such as how old you are. Uh, how long you've been with the company, what your position is, how much money you're making, and ultimately what kind of uh, available opportunities like the one that you had, you know, what, what kinds are, are out there. Um, and, and again, if, if the contract isn't really at play, 
and it's not limiting you, then that's when your potential maximum severance entitlements can open up. Uh, and when you can potentially be looking at as much as two years uh, of severance. But, but that's also where those factors in terms of age and length of service and position come into play as well. So um, hard to say, uh, but you mentioned at the outset of the show that, of course, we've got that severance calculator. Mm-hmm. And that can allow people to input certain uh, facts uh, into the calculator, and it'll give them a rough idea about what they could potentially be looking at. And again, that calculator that uh, Chris is talking about, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, is where you find that. Again, similar question to, to the last one I, I asked you about yeah. how much severance you wrote and all that. I mean, is are these, um, these termination or at least uh, severance clauses, limitations on employment contracts, again, more popular now than they have been, or, or again, exponentially more popular because of COVID, or are you finding that's something that you're really finding not that often on an employment contract? Uh, no, I, I would st- I would say nowadays it's arguably more common, more mm. popular. Um, I, I would definitely say that it's always been a pretty main feature in a lot of these contracts, but the, the law changes so often. Right. And, you know, one year, one termination clause may be seen as enforceable and and well-worded and and correctly drafted. And then the next year, there's a case that comes out that says, well, actually, no, clauses that are drafted in this way are no longer any good. And um, so I think employers are beginning to realize the the complexities of this and, and the need to sort of keep updated when it comes to their contracts. And that's why you see a lot of them have employees sign contracts during their tenure with the company or maybe every year to try to update, you know, the language so that it fits with the law. Um, So I think there's they're definitely becoming a bit wiser to to that fact that it's always evolving. Um, But but even still, uh, it it, it remains quite a difficult task, I think, for employers to, to craft the perfect clause. And as an employee, that's just what you need to, to create a little bit of that ambiguity, and, and that can then open up uh, things much greater. To your point about you know updating these contracts maybe yearly or every so often as things change, um, is yeah. that something that an employee has to sign, has to comply with? No, uh, not necessarily. And I think that if you're an employee and you are being asked by your employer, let's say five years into your job, to sign a contract... You, you need to question why. You know, is it because your your title is changing? You're getting a promotion. You're getting a pay raise. You know, a lot of times that often happens. Um, or is it the company? Is the company just simply telling you, "Hey, this is just kind of standard procedure. Uh, just just kind of formalizing the the relationship. Can you sign this?" And and you may not be getting any benefit whatsoever and end up signing a contract that has some language in it down at the bottom that, you know, is, is worded in a way that your previous contract wasn't. And now unbeknownst to you, you're now tied to this new contract. And should you lose your job later on, maybe there's a better termination clause in there that, that could sort of do you harm. Uh, so, so always question why, what benefit am I getting from this? What benefit are they getting from this? And definitely contact uh, a lawyer before signing something like that because, again, it may be too late if, if, if you go after the fact. If it's a new uh, employment contract at the outset of a new job and that clause is in there, that severance clause, is that something you can generally or at least attempt to have negotiated out, especially if they've, they've come headhunting you or you've gone through several interviews and you're like, you're the guy that they want. You should have a little bit more uh, 
a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You should be able to negotiate that type of thing out of the contract or at least lessen it, no? Yeah, that that definitely has been something that I've helped individuals with. Uh, It is generally difficult uh, in a lot of those cases to get the employer to, for example, completely remove that clause because oftentimes, and, and usually at the advice of their own lawyers, uh, they're being told to definitively keep it in and, and that it's been worded in a certain way, as I said before, to align with the state of the law at the time. And so there's usually, you know, some uh, need, of course, for them to keep that in. Um, but if you can get it taken out, then that's great. That would mean that the common law kind of opens up to you and then you can start looking at severance package upwards of a couple years. Yeah. Um, but if you can't get them to take it out, and like you say, to your point, if, if you've got leverage, then you can generally negotiate, I find, with the company, whether that means taking it out or simply revising it or modifying it in a way that's maybe more beneficial. Um, you know, and, and especially if they want you, as, as you've pointed out, then, yeah. then I do find that there's a bit more leverage there um, uh, to sort of make those changes versus if you're just kind of you know a number and they say, okay, well, if you're not going to take it, we've got this next person in line mm-hmm. that's going to take it. And it can be more difficult in those kind of scenarios. We're talking uh, fired without cause, fast facts. A couple more of these, and we'll move on. In the meantime, reaching out to Chris anytime, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca, and the website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Lots more Employment Law Show is on the way. Hang around. There is always time and ways to reach out to Chris Justice, lawyer, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. If you have concerns about employment law, something going on personally, or for a friend or a colleague, or you just have things you hear on the show you want to learn more about, you can do that uh, at your at your will. one 821 5900 is how you go about that. On the phone, email help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we always mention the website that is free and full of information and anonymous pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. And uh, we'll get back to a couple more of these. Uh, fired without cause, fast facts. Uh, these are based on, I know, a ton of phone calls and questions you get all the time, Chris. Next one is this. The old Ministry of Labor. Can they help me if I am let go without cause? Right, right. So so a lot of people may think of the Ministry of Labor as being the go-to in terms of getting an employer to pay that person severance or what that right. person thinks they're owed uh, in terms of severance. But what I, what I will say is that if you are someone who's been let go, uh, terminated, laid off from your job, and you're looking to pursue your full severance rights or the, the, the maximum potential of severance rights that you have, you should not contact the Ministry of Labor. And the reason I say that is because the Ministry of Labor can only help you obtain your minimum severance entitlements under the legislation itself. Uh, They cannot help you get those full or that full common law severance package that that you're probably looking for. And uh, more importantly, or, or just as importantly, once you file a claim with the Ministry of Labor uh, in pursuit of the severance entitlements, you would then waive or remove your ability to seek legal counsel and have a lawyer get involved and, let's say, commence an action to, to get those common law severance entitlements. Right. So you could definitely be doing yourself some harm um, because there, there's that cap on what's achievable. So while it may seem like for a lot of people it's a more cost-effective way, perhaps, if we're, if we're talking about legal fees, for example, mm-hmm. to go through the Ministry of Labor, uh, in the long run of things, it's just not its not going to be the best option for you. So definitely contact a lawyer first before doing that, because, again, you don't want to 
complete too many steps and go down that road, and then it becomes impossible to kind of reverse back. You know, we talked about before the uh, before the break in the last segment about you know these these things they put into contracts that can limit your severance. Is there mm-hmm. other things inside that employment contract that factor into severance pay? Um, yeah, so I guess what I will say is that if you are let go, let's say for example without cause, and your employer is sort of pointing you to the contract you signed and telling you, hey. Uh, we don't think you're owed more than what we're offering because look at this contract, look at this clause, this termination clause, and they and they point you to the without cause termination section mm-hmm. because we're let go without cause. Let's say that without cause section is worded perfectly, uh, which is very rare, so I definitely wouldn't assume that, but let's just assume that it is worded perfectly. Now, there are other areas of the contract that may not be worded perfectly, that may not involve a without cause termination, um, but because of the fact that they're worded improperly, could sort of almost spoil the rest of the contract. Um, so even if the without cause section is fine and, and worded correctly, um, for example, there's uh, a for cause section. So there's also a section in the termination uh, clause that talks about what happens if the company has cause to terminate your employment. And a lot, and, and a lot of times these sections aren't worded correctly. And so what I often tell people is, hey, look, I know you weren't terminated for cause, but the company's contract as it relates to cause, it's just not worded properly. And it actually spoils or or kind of affects the without cause section. So even if it's not directly relevant, per se, to the case, there are definitely other areas of the contract that, that could affect it as a whole and almost render it completely ineffective and as though it doesn't exist. Um, so, so typically that's something else I'll, I'll tell people of, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. And, and again, that's sort of more recent case law that, that's come out in the last few years. Um, so that, that's what I'd say, I guess, in response to that question. And, uh, before we move on here, I want to get to, uh, get to an email before we get on to, uh, our next topic. And that is rights of older employees in an aging workforce. Brad, uh, wrote us an email says, Hey, Chris, my neighbor who runs a building company, told me that construction workers aren't aren't entitled to a severance package when they're fired. Is that true? Yeah, so this is a good question because uh, when it comes to the issue or the idea of whether construction workers get a severance package or not, there's a little bit of a conflict within the law itself. Okay. So if you look at, for example, the Employment Standards Act, which is the legislation governing the rights of those within this province, you'll find there's a section in that act that says a quote-unquote construction employee is not entitled to notice or severance. And this has to do in part because when we're talking about the construction industry, uh, a lot of times there are short-term work arrangements. It's a very sort of or more transient type of employment uh, employment often ends, you know, much more frequently without much or any notice. And so for that reason, construction employees have sort of been treated a little bit differently than a lot of other industries. Um, but what I will say is that even though there is some language in this legislation that talks about construction employees, and, and even though that does give employers the idea that they can just let these people go without any severance, um, that's not necessarily the case. Because, and I mentioned this uh, throughout the show, the issue of common law, under the common law, 
uh, construction employees are arguably entitled to severance. And, and so this, of course, differs a little bit from, from the legislation that I was talking about. Um, but it's important because it does mean that in a lot of these cases, uh, even with this legislation, construction employees are entitled to a severance package. Uh, and just because the construction industry, maybe generally speaking, is a bit more short-term based or transient, um, does not mean that that these employees are just without any rights. Uh, so, you know, if you're an employee and your employer is telling you they don't have to pay you any severance because of the nature of your work um, and, and sort of throw all this legislation at you or cite all these different laws, don't, don't assume that they're correct. Uh, definitely get in touch with us um, because it will often, as it does, come down to the facts, uh, each the facts of each individual case. Um, so whether it's Brad himself or anyone else in Brad's position, definitely give us a shout because you definitely might be entitled to severance. Rights of older employees and an aging workforce. You bet we are. And uh, we'll get to that after a break. In the meantime, write this down. Keep it. one 855 That's how you get a hold of Chris at the firm. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And we'll continue. More Employment Law shows coming up. Right back at it, Chris Justice here from Sanfiru to Markin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, have helped tens of thousands of people get the compensation they are owed. You just simply need to reach out to Chris and start with a uh, with a conversation, right? one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website full of employment law info. Even before that phone call to Chris, do some uh, some reading and educating yourself at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But want to move on to this. It's an aging workforce indeed. Some rights of older employees. We'll get right into it, Chris, with the remaining few minutes. Number one, can an employer fire an older employee because of their age? Right. So immediately the uh, the alarm bells go ringing as far as age-related discrimination is concerned. Um, so generally speaking, no, that, that would be a clear instance of discrimination. And then that employee would not only be looking at, of course, the severance that they're owed, but additional human rights damages, possible reinstatement, uh, depending on what avenue they pursue. Uh, so, so employers, of course, would be very unwise to do that. Um, it, it can be often tricky uh, in these cases to prove that you were let go due to your age because normally no employer is going to be putting that kind of stuff in writing, first of all. And secondly, if it's a battle of your words versus theirs, that can you know, a lot of times come down to a credibility contest. Um, what I'll usually tell individuals is that if they do have discussions or meetings with anyone at the company, and there's some suggestion that they're being let go due to their age, or maybe there's comments in the buildup to their termination, you know, say, for example, hey, when are you retiring? Or, or you're getting a bit old for this, aren't you? You know, again, the employer is not going to likely admit to any of that being said. So generally, the one way you can help protect yourself is to make notes that are uh, being made at the time of those meetings or just after those meetings and record that kind of stuff yourself and, you know, really even verbatim as best you can kind of get the language and the words that are used because, you know, you know, there's going to be a fight later on. They're going to absolutely deny any suggestion of discrimination. But I think people also need to understand, and I I mentioned this earlier uh, on the show is, you know, the, the age doesn't have to be the the main uh, reason for why you're let go. If you can demonstrate as an individual that even 1% of the reasoning behind why you were let go had to do with your age, 
then you're going to put yourself in a much better position to to sort of advance that human rights claim against them. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely not a good idea from an employer standpoint. You know, it's interesting too. I mean, most wouldn't admit to it, but I mean, if if you know, if you take those notes about a meeting you had, you know, contemporaneous notes, is this something yeah. you should just keep on and and you know, keep in your back pocket just in case, or is this something in an email you can send just to just to go over what we discussed in our meeting? You said this, yeah. this, 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 and this, and this. Should you send that off to them? Yeah, that's always good uh, in general when when it mm-hmm. comes to situations where you know your employer's not going to put anything in writing. Uh, it could be about your age. It could be about your performance. It could be about a number of issues that you may differ with your employer on. And as much as it'd be great if the employer could put all that in writing for you, that is something else that I'm telling individuals is to kind of send a note afterwards just to say, hey, just to recap, this is what we discussed. You know, you said this. I responded this way. And, and, and to your point, then you've got a, a more of a record, just like if you were making notes whether the employer actually responds to that email, right. I guess, is another situation. And, and, you know, depending on what the response, if any, is, um, there may need to be some further exchanges. But, you know, at least you do have that uh, as a record. I guess there's always a, you know, the, the angle as well that if they don't respond, well, I guess they accept it because they didn't argue with it. Right, right. I mean, uh, uh, I guess an adverse inference could be drawn against them, so, you know, the fact that they didn't respond. So, so yeah, any little bit can help, especially with these kinds of cases, which are, are most often very contentious. So you're an employer and you've got an, an older employee. They've generally been good, but uh, they're just becoming less productive. And a, a big factor of that could be their age. What are the employer's options at that point? Yeah, so so on the employer side of things, they definitely uh, need to be walking on eggshells, so to speak, in these kinds of situations. Again, you want to be very careful about, you know, having discussions with employees, linking their age to their performance, and then sort of linking that to a potential termination, because that's just going to, yeah, as I said, put you in hot water. Um, you know, I think from an employer perspective, you need to, I guess, as best as possible, understand, you know, why, first of all, they're becoming less productive. Um, you know, it, what, what exactly are the factors that are contributing towards that? And, and how can we accommodate that? You know, is there a way that we could have this employee perform their job uh, without those kinds of restrictions or issues? Uh, is there a way that we could you know, perhaps slightly modify. Now, I'm, I'm always wary of companies, you know, making significant changes to the terms of someone's employment. But, you know, just to sort of brainstorm what options are there before simply saying, oh, you're not productive anymore and we're going to let you go. And, and you know, having it possibly be that maybe it is related to the age and, and there were no accommodation efforts given and, and they just kind of jumped the gun a bit there. Um, so I think uh, there needs to be an understanding on both sides as to, first of all, are they less productive? Because the employee, for all I know, might dispute that, which often happens. And, and secondly, sort of address, you know, if the, the employee themselves have any questions or issues and, and try to work together in that sense, um, rather than just, like I say, pulling the trigger. And what's the uh, what's the gospel as far as if you're the employee that realizes you know I'm I'm struggling at my job maybe my age has something to do with it how do they approach that? Yeah, well, I, I think that they could definitely uh, talk with their employer. You know, if if they want to keep their job and they are happy doing their job, but they themselves notice that they're perhaps making an error or not capable of doing you know a portion of of their job. 
um, I would just say be as transparent as possible, you know, have a discussion, you know, be honest, you know, to talk about, you know, the fact that you still want to be there. And, and as I say, try to work out some sort of a accommodation. Um, that's what I would say in general for employees to do. If you're an employer, can you kind of suggest that maybe it's time to wrap it up to that older employee? Yeah, it's just that's when you run the risk of, okay, you're letting me go because of my age or maybe because of my limitations, which are sort of maybe a byproduct of my age. And so, again, you want to be very careful. I'm sure employers, or or at least I I would hope that employers are are getting their own legal advice before having these discussions with these employees. And, And I know I myself have spoken to a number of employers, uh, you know, in this sense, you know, maybe in advance of a meeting that they're going to have or in advance of uh, a discussion they're going to have, whether it's an employee or some of the higher ups. To sort, because, you know, a lot of times there is there are trimmings of workforces. There are restructurings that happen. Right. There are realignments and people are let go. And just because older people are let go doesn't, of course, mean that there's discrimination at play. But I've also had situations where the person I'm talking to is one of five people who are let go. And they all just happen to be in their 60s. Gotcha. And, you know, the rest are in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And it's just, you know, the optics can definitely look poor from the employer's perspective. And that'll pretty much do it for another show. Chris Justice is your guy to reach out and talk about these matters anytime. one 821 Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website with full of information, contact as well. Free, anonymous, right? Use it, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show.